Hey, this is Mike Brake, the lead pastor at Freedom Church in Los Alamos. Just want to say thank you so much for stopping by the podcast today. I hope you feel encouraged and I hope you feel inspired today to take your next step of faith with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Jump into that. I just kind of want to do an all skate, ask the question. Uh, When you went to school, like school started up for a lot of people this week. Uh, When you went to school, how many of you had a mean teacher? You had a mean teacher? Okay, what were some of the mean things? Just shout them out or if you have it online. What were some of the mean things that teachers uh, did? Don't name names, just capital punishment? Okay, so there's probably some spankings. Oh, wow, so some physical abuse happening, okay, back in the day. Anybody, anybody else had some mean teachers? A teacher threatening the shooter, <laughs> yikes, okay. I'm going I'm to say I love our, our teachers and our school system here, um, and I'm not wanting to bash on teachers. My, my dad, I grew up in the school system. Uh, my parents taught for over 30 years, um, and um, so I'm a teacher's kid. I want to see if anyone put anything in online, but I'm not seeing anything put, put in there yet. I see, I see Kay and I see Dakota joining in. Um, and joining us today. I had, so I had some weird stories where I got kicked out of class for saying uh, caca mouth. I, ca- I, saw, I called someone a caca mouth and the, the teacher uh, kicked me out for that. Um, I also got t- kicked out, and this didn't happen, but um, I killed a fly like it was all around me and I, I hit it and it was a science teacher. And the science teacher kicked me out of class for killing a fly. She thought I was like torturing the thing and, and like tearing the wings off, and she went to town on me um, on, on that. I also told a teacher one time, jokingly, I said uh, she was hearing something, and she couldn't quite, she's like, what did you say? I said, turn up your hearing aid, and she said, get out of class. So I just, I, to me, I wasn't like fist fighting anyone. I would just say something, and I'd get kicked out for, for weird things. Um, I would say, for the, for the majority of my cases and even the other teachers, there's probably more to the story that's going on behind the scenes. Um, the, you, you just got to see the surface of, of what was happening. My dad, I remember, he was, he was a teacher, and the teacher's on, they had a cake one time. And he decided someone had put the cake in there, and he wanted a piece. And I guess for some reason, he thought the middle of the cake looked good, so he just cut this little circle out of the middle. And then someone comes in, another teacher comes into the teacher's lounge and said, hmm, that's weird. Why did, you, why did someone cut the middle out of the cake? And my dad was standing there. He's like, well, I just wanted the middle piece. And, okay, all right. Well, then uh, not even a couple minutes later, someone else walks in and says, that's weird. Why would someone cut out the middle of the, the cake? And he's like, well, I just wanted to eat the middle of the cake. It looked good. And then within another minute, third person walks in and says, that's weird. Why would someone cut the middle of the cake? He grabbed the knife. He goes, boom, 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 boom. He said, there, it's all, you just eat it however you want, you know. And there was more to the story. I'm not saying that was all right. And dad, I'm sure he's like, great. I'm glad you're telling that story. But it was like, it, you were the third person. You were just the third person that asked the same question in the three minutes. And so you got my dad uh, being a little bit impatient. I don't know. Maybe there was more to the story. Uh, when I when I killed that fly, or I said caca mouth, or something like that. I think when we ask this question, why does why does Jesus seem so loving? Why does God seem so mean? There's more to the story. There, there's a little bit deeper that we need to to look at. And so when we look at things, 
on God being mean. I don't know what comes to mind. And this question just continued to be asked as you guys were asking questions. It wasn't necessarily, why does God seem so mean? It was just like, why is there slavery in the Old Testament? Why are there all these weird laws and things with women? Um, just harsh judgment that God would place on people. A question on hell, which I'm going to answer online this week. That It was, to me, the question that got asked on hell, and I'll, I'll share it online. It was, to me, the toughest, most raw question that I, I got asked. It didn't get voted in the top six, but I'm like, I got to... I'm, I struggled with it, and I'm like, I, I want to I do my best to answer that one. So I'm going to answer that one online. If God's so loving, then why is hell there? But not only that, but how is it justified that it's eternal when we're only here for a few years? You know, And so and some phenomenal questions. If God's so loving, then you know, why has Mary got to ride a donkey in her ninth month of pregnancy? I mean, come on, God. This is your son. I mean, I, just imagine Mary being like, okay, I know you are the son of God, but I kind of swear to God, if we don't stop right now, like, you know, it, just like you think you would set this up a little bit better if this is the Messiah, the King. It seems like God's not in control or he's against us or what's going, going on here. A lot of us, we will see these things on the surface level and stop right there. And quite honestly, in our culture, and our society will be like, God doesn't exist. I mean, it's, it's kind of a smokescreen for, I don't, I don't believe in this God. And what I want to encourage you today, maybe you're there, I'm glad you're here. I want to I encourage you to, to see that there's maybe a little bit more. And I'm not an Old Testament scholar, okay? I'm just a pastor. I read some books. I, I go and I look for stuff and I research. I'm, but as I go through this, I'm journeying along with you with a lot of these same questions. And I find that there are plausible answers for, or, for this. And part of the more to the story is, is uh, one that God punishes evil. So when we see God do something, we know that God punishes evil. Often it's slow in coming. We saw a couple weeks ago, the question was asked, if, if, um, why is God so harsh? We looked at Ananias and Sapphira and they lied and their money and that they gave and then they died immediately. That's not always the case. A lot of times it's slow. And this question of God being so mean, we do have to understand, in many cases, this is an a American question, American church question. This is a Western question. Because if you, if you go to societies that are oppressed, people who have been suffering for so long with seemingly no justice, they are longing for God to step in. They might be asking the opposite question. If God is just, why is he so loving and just lets people get by with that we want God to intervene and act? And so we ought to understand that God, he does punish evil. He's often slow. We are also very impatient. We don't understand why God can be so slow sometimes. Like, we're super impatient with our own kids. Try to tell your kids, hey, we're going to leave. Get your clothes on. Get your shoes on. And then five minutes later, we're like, get your, get your shoes on. Get, you know, why are we still doing this? We're so impatient. We can't wait. We have trouble waiting on God. Not only does God uh, punish evil, uh, this question where, where 
you know, why is Jesus so loving? Jesus gets angry. All right, we, we see this in, in Scripture. There's one that I want to point out in John chapter 2, verse 15. So this is early on in the book of John. Jesus goes to the temple. He sees that they're selling stuff. He, they basically made church, the temple, a marketplace. They're selling stuff. Jesus, it says, made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. Now think about this. He, he went there, saw it, got angry, and then he didn't just start flipping tables in. It says he went and he made a rope. Like he, he's like getting the, 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 the string together, the strands. And I can imagine if I'm a disciple being like, kind of like in, in Home Alone, Marv and Harry, where he's like, Marv, Marv, what are you doing, Marv? You know, and Jesus is like, you see what they're doing? You know, like, you know, you could imagine he's making a whip. And then he goes back in and he starts cleaning house. I, I think it's, it's not a sin to be angry. It's what, what you do with it. And this is one of the scenes where we see Jesus the most angry. He gets angry. And also along with that, we believe. We believe right here. And I think scripture is very clear. Jesus is God. So there's a, there was an old, te- there was an early church. I don't, I don't know the exact dates. Hundreds, two hundreds, three hundreds. They had to defeat this heresy. I mean, the people were starting to claim they, could, they didn't like the Old Testament God. Too mean, too harsh. We like Jesus. Maybe they're not the same. And they had this debate. And they, they're like, no, this, Jesus, one, he, he is God. But two, he, when we looked at what he said, his, his followers, those eyewitnesses, they said, no, he's, he's right there. He didn't say anything bad with the Old Testament. He's like, I didn't, I didn't come to abolish the Old Testament. I came to fulfill it. So he wasn't saying, no, that, that, that God's wrong. He said, you, you, you've misinterpreted him. So all that to say, Jesus is God. John 1, 1 says, uh, uh, in the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus, already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God, big G, not lowercase g. So when we look at Old Testament and we read something that we don't like, something that's uncomfortable, what do we do? Well, we need, to, we need to break it down. And one of the things we need to do is understand that that was thousands of years ago. So us today in America trying to identify with a culture from thousands of years ago uh, in the East, it is a jump to get there. And in many ways, I don't know that we could ever get there, but at the same time, it's like, no, we can work. There's things you can do, and, and we, you can get there. So I'd say it's impossible. But understand that we, we oftentimes, when we read our Bible, we'll try to put it in today's context. And I think there's certainly application for today. But we read something like, oh, that wouldn't fit in today. Well, it wasn't written and done in today's world. And we see that even in today, us trying to understand another culture, another system. We're like, how could they do that? Well, we're not a part of that culture or part of that ethnicity or part of that system. So it's confusing. And imagine 6,000 you know, years ago, we're trying to, to understand. It's hard. It's a jump. But we got. There's some work you can do to make that. Um, so I want to go over a few. This is going to be Cliff Notes versions uh, of how we see something maybe in Scripture, and we're like, "This God's mean," and maybe we use that to justify why I don't believe in God. I want to kind of 
look at maybe some plausible answers for some of those things. And then I want to give you one example of how we can actually break it down and go a little bit deeper to find out maybe there's more to the story and what God's doing. I hope we have enough time for this. Today's going to be, I like to preach. Today's going to be a little bit of teaching. So we'll just see how this goes. Also, if you want to write this down, uh, this is one book I would recommend. There's many others, but this one um, is called, Is God a Moral Monster? And it asks a lot of these questions. Uh, making sense of the Old Testament God. And I don't like every, I don't agree with everything in this book, but what I'm looking for is how can I bridge the gap from today to several thousand years ago? What was God doing in that situation? And is there anything plausible to say that God's still for me, even when I read something that I'm not at peace with? So it's called, if, Is God a Moral Monster by Paul uh, Copen. And I will also say this isn't like, oh, I'm going to read this in two nights. Like I had to chew on like a day or two like a page or two a day or something like that. It's a slow read, but it's helpful, super helpful if you want to dig. All right, so number one, God, God's an egomaniac, or is, is God an egomaniac? Like he's always demanding this worship of him. If there's this big grand God, then what's he care about our worship? Why does he even need it anyway? You know, you should have no other gods before me. It just seems like he's very self-centered, very prideful, and everything's about him, and we know those people, and we don't want anything to do with those people, so why would we worship a God who's kind of like this, this egomaniac? couple things. Let's define pride. Pride, there's a good pride and a bad pride, right? Good pride, my son, who just turned nine yesterday, we went golfing on Thursday, and we're playing number six out of the Los Alamos golf course, par three, short hole, about 100, 115, he smacks one of the best balls that I've ever seen him hit, goes, rolls right by the hole. He's still got about a 20-foot putt. He gets it within a couple feet, and then he nails the, the two-footer. He gets a three. I'm like, I can't even do that. And he nailed a, a, a three. I'm, as a dad, proud of my son, and that is healthy and good. There is a good pride. There is also a bad pride, which is this overinflated view of yourself that we cannot stand that you're, you're, you're thinking more of yourself than you ought to. Let's talk about humility. Because there's a, a humility, a good humility would be, I have an accurate view of myself. And there's a false humility, a bad humility, that I, I think less of myself than I should. An example would be like LeBron James. He comes in, that would be awesome if he's here, but he's like, you know, I'm not really all that good at basketball. I'm not, you know, I'm not that good. We're like, come on, Le that's a false humility. All right, be like Dak Prescott coming in, Cowboys quarterback saying, oh, not, I'm not really that good at quarterback. To which my co <laughs> the Cowboy fans are always saying, I'm like, well, he might have some truth there um, on that. I don't, who is the, who's the Broncos quarterback? Anybody know? Do we know? See, we don't even, huh? Locke. Oh, okay, all right. I was like, I can't even make fun of the Broncos. They're so bad. But um, <clears throat> humility would be having a right view of ourselves. So when God is talking about himself, that he is the creator of all things, that he is infinite, that he he is all-powerful, all-knowing. He is sustaining. He is providing. He is protecting. It's not this overinflated view of himself. He's giving a very accurate view of who he is. 
And, and, and he's saying it's this worship that he's asking for is actually kind of like worth-ship. I am, I'm worthy of all of these things, which kind of goes into the next thing of, of we, we don't like God because he seems so jealous or he's angry. Why does God get so jealous? And one of the things that we see from the very beginning, Genesis 1, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. The picture here is intimacy. That this God who created humanity, who created everything that we see, wants a relationship with his creation. He said, you're made in my image. Nothing else gets this this marking except for humanity. And he puts humanity above everything else of creation, saying, you're made in my image. I want a relationship with you. So he gets a little jealous when we put worship on other things, not him. When we prioritize other things above God and we say, this is what I worship, and we would never say that, but we will live those things out, he's going to get a little bit frustrated. How many of you, if you, if you went and, and got married, went on your honeymoon, and you saw your spouse cheating on you on your honeymoon, wouldn't get a little bit jealous and riled up at what is going on? And it doesn't even have to be at a honeymoon. A, a, an uncommitted spouse uh, or a committed spouse is going to have some emotions and some issues with that cheating that's going on in a marriage. How committed should God be when it comes to this relationship that he wants? He's very committed. Which also asks the question, okay, well then if God's all-knowing, if he's all-knowing, then why, why does he get all upset? Like if he knew it was going to happen, all right, maybe there's other ways to deal with it. Why, such, why so anger? Why, 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 why so... Why, why so um, why so serious? That would be the Joker's <laughs> uh, way of saying that in Batman. And I think it goes back to that Genesis 1 verse that we just read. He is a God of the, of the now. He's not just this God of like, oh, well, I got the whole plan taken care of. I already know what's going to happen, so I don't get upset. No, he wants the relationship. He is a God that cares about you right now in the moment. So yes, he has this big grand scheme, but he sees what's happening and he's with you in it. So when you weep, he's there weeping with you. When, he's, when you're angry, he's right there with you in all of those things. It speaks to the intimacy that he has for his creation. A third one. These are, these are cliff notes. If you want more, dig in. There's a lot that you can go into any of these things. So if you wrestle with them, you're like, I want to know more about the jealousy of God. Go and find and dig. And there's much more to, to back some of these things up because I'm sure my, my Cliff Notes version isn't full and complete. Slavery, laws, women in the Old Testament. Sometimes we read some things and it's like, what is going on here? How could God allow this? This is not pretty, not, uh, nor is it like, I, I wish God would have handled things differently, but it's there. One is when you read the Old Testament and you see some weird laws, or you see something about slavery. One of the things we got we to gotta know is that the Old Testament 
is not and never was the permanent ideal. All right, so New Test- Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament, Old Covenant. God created this covenant, but then he's like, hey, you're my chosen nation, Israel, and there's like all these laws, and here's how you're going to live. Some things were for health. Some things were, were for protection. Some things were just to stand in contrast to the nations around them. And he would say, you're going to do things differently here. But the Old Testament, when we read, read something, like I, for example, slavery. I'm like, God, why wouldn't you just say slavery's bad? Like, why wouldn't you just say, it's wrong, don't do it? And, and he's saying, if you have a slave, here's how you are to treat them. That's where it gets messy. Like, why? You know, why? But it was never the ideal. He was not, the, if you wanted God's ideal for how he wanted creation to live, Genesis 1. And then we screwed it all up in Genesis 2 and 3. All right? And ever since, it's been broken system. And one day he will come back and restore it all. Right now, we're still in broken system. So what does he do? Rather than speak in the, here's the ideal and what I want, he speaks to people where they are at. He says, here's where you're at. Here's where you are. And, and I, you know, we would all look from the outside and say, no, just tell them the ideal. No, because he doesn't do that with you. He sees where you're at, and he says, here's your next step. If we're going to struggle here, let's just take one step today. Okay, because I could look at you and say, no, I want you all the way over here in the ideal. Why don't you act like this? And you're like, no, but I can only handle this right now. So when he speaks to individuals or even to nations, it's not the ideal. Sometimes he's giving small incremental steps. That's why it's a little bit hard for us to be like, well, why why doesn't he just give them the big picture? He's working with them where they're at. All right. And knowing that was never meant to be the ideal. Jesus backs this up. He says in Matthew chapter five, he says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses, the Old Testament, all the rules. I didn't come to abolish it. So it's also, it's, I'm not saying that God was not me. He says, or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. He came to fulfill what they were writing about. So basically saying that it was never, it was never meant to be the ideal standard. So you're going to read some things in the Old Testament. You don't like it. There's more. Dig in. But also understand that it was not the ideal. The last one. Last one that sometimes we read and we struggle with. Abraham. Abraham the, is one of the patriarchs of the faith, and he gets asked by God uh, to sacrifice his son. If you haven't heard this story, it's phenomenal. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said, here I am. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Come on, God. Just chapters before, in chapter 12, we get introduced to Abraham. And Abraham is told by God, it says, this is kind of their first encounter. He says, go from your country. Abraham, leave your past. Leave your, 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 your family. Go from your country your people and your father's household, to the land I will show you. See the similarities here. Go back, sacrifice him on the mountain, on the place I will show you. Go to this land that I will show you. So there's precedence here that God's up to something. 
Abraham in chapter 12 leaves with his family, and God tells him in chapter 12 this great blessing. I'm going to bless all nations through you. You're going to have a son, and all the, it's just the nation of Israel, everything's just going to be blessed through you. Abraham's like, one problem, we're like super old. We ain't never having kids. And God provides. Miraculously, they have a child. Even though they, they even tried to, he had a concubine, and he's like, well, maybe, maybe it's not through my wife. Maybe it's through this concubine. And so he had another uh, child out of wedlock, and he tried to do things on his own. And the guy's like, no, I told you I'm going to do a miracle through here. And they're still waiting on him to do it. All that to say, from chapter 12 to, to, to 20, 22, Abraham had seen God at work. And so he had built up a relationship with him to trust him, that I, I, even when he asked something hard, I can trust him here. And so then he says, go and sacrifice your son, the one and only son, the one that you said that you were going to bless, make this entire generation, make so many descendants that you couldn't even count them through this one, and now you're telling me to kill him? So you can understand the confusion. He's wrestling with this. But there's a few things if you look in and you dig a little bit more. He says, not only on a mountain that I will show you. Uh-oh. I kind of remember hearing God say that before. So I trusted him back in chapter 12 many years ago, and he came through. So I think he's kind of hinting that he's going to come through with something, even though this seems ridiculous. The region of Moriah, that word translated in Hebrew, means it's derived from a word that means provide. Go sacrifice him in the place where I'm going to provide. So he's getting these hints that God's up to something, even though he doesn't know what. Another way that this has been translated, this is, a, not a, this is just a paraphrase, this is not an actual translation, but just a way to kind of help us. God's saying to Abraham, I'm testing your obedience and allegiance here. You don't understand, but in light of all I've done and said to you, trust me, not even death can nullify the promise I've made. So I think Abraham, although it doesn't say this, he moves forward because I think he sees, even if my son dies, a resurrection will take place. I think Abraham's seeing that, hey, God's made this promise, and there's going to, even if I have to go through with this, my son will come back to life. How could you take your one and only son and sacrifice him? Well, maybe there's more to the story. When Abraham gets up there, we know that God provides, and at the last moment says, no, don't sacrifice your son. And he, and he sacrifices a ram. The big, what's, what's the big story of the whole scripture anyway? The big story, the big narrative, the Bible, even though it's a bunch of different books written throughout thousands of years, the big narrative is that you have this big, amazing God who loves his creation, who wants a relationship with him. And the, the creation abandoned God and said, I'm going to do my own thing my own way, 
time and time again. And God says, you know what? I'm still for you and I'm going to come and make a way and redeem it all so that we can have a relationship. It's the big narrative. When you, when you come across a passage and you're wondering, is God some monster? There's more to the story. Everything was pointing, in the Old Testament, everything was pointing forward to Jesus. We get a picture through Abraham and Isaac that God, not even death, can stop what God wants to do in your life. And when we start this nation, Abraham, that's going to be the foundation and the building block that's going to help generation after generation after generation when they face hardships and trials and uncertainties. They're going to bank on that God can redeem what seems lost. And for us as New Testament believers, we got a new covenant. Jesus comes along and we are always pointing back and looking back at Jesus and saying, he's the one that fulfills everything I'm searching for and every desire. So I know this is like a long way to get to this, but when you're asking the question of why is God so mean, I want you to ask the question, what does it mean? What, there is meaning behind it. And you got to look through it through the filter of Jesus. Isaiah 53, a prophet, a hundred years, several hundred years before Jesus comes, says, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him, talking about Jesus, and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering of, for sin, he will have many descendants, he will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. We look at that first sentence and say, how could it be a good plan to crush your one and only son, to cause him grief? Because it provides redemption. When you know there's going to be a resurrection, you don't care. You're, you are providing and making a way. God is not about child sacrifice. He's about making a way. And he says, I, Jesus, Jesus and God, the Holy Spirit, they're all the same. He's not doing a child sacrifice. This is self-sacrifice. Jesus says, I go to the cross and I lay down my life. Nobody takes my life. He, we have a willing Savior. And when we see someone self-sacrifice, we say, that's so honorable. That they would sacrifice for the lives of other people. This is the God that we serve. That just provides love and grace every step of the way, even when it's uncomfortable and doesn't always make sense. There's more to the story. What does it mean? I'm convinced I'm a little bit, I know I'm long, it's noon, so I'm going to wrap this up. I don't like doing sermons like this on teaching because in many ways I'm like, it's a lot of head knowledge, and a lot of us can, can get all the teaching and we can know all the stuff, and I could be an Old Testament scholar and say, well, I know this, and I know this, and I know this, but it doesn't mean dilly squat whenever we leave here to go live it out. I want a faith that, that, that not only gives me head knowledge, but helps me walk out. I talk about this today because I want you to know your faith in Jesus Christ is not on sand. You have a firm foundation. You have a firm faith. When you get asked tough questions, go digging for answers. We love questions here. That's why we did a whole series on it. But it, it, you got to look underneath. And in many times, I want to ask, why would you do this, God? And many times, it comes down to what do you want me to to do, or who do you want me to become? And in all of these stories that we read, 
Let's go ahead and stand because I want to I end it on this right here. Almost every story that you read in the Bible, almost every, it comes down to one word. And this is the one word I want to I leave you with today. The one word, it's trust. Every story that you read in Scripture, people are handed a situation or a circumstance with God, and they get to choose whether to trust them or not. Do I trust him or not? And you see people walking in obedience and trusting him, even though they don't understand it, even though they don't like it, even though it doesn't make sense. Do you trust it? And you see other people, the rich young ruler, hey, hey, you want a life with me? I know you got a lot of stuff. Sell everything you have. Sell everything. Give it to the poor. Come follow me. Do you trust him? And that guy walked away. And I think we have that same opportunity. When we hear this sort of stuff, we come across it. You are asked, do you trust God with your life? I know what my head says. I kind of know what my heart says, but I don't always do the things that I want to do. So if you find yourself struggling with this today, congratulations, we're all in it together. And I just want to take a next step with you. We may not make it to the ideal, but can we just take one step today? So let's pray together. Father. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to the podcast this week. I hope you felt inspired to take your next step of faith with Jesus. Just a couple next steps that you can take coming out of this. One, rate and review the podcast. That really does get the message out to other people faster. As well as click subscribe to make sure you get the latest content as it rolls out each week. And finally, if you want to partner with us financially, head on over to our website, click the word give. That's going to get the message out through our ministries further and faster. Have a wonderful week. God bless.